Don't come. Don't come. Fine, open. Hey, Hanson. Bang up job your heroes are doing with my ship. Love the view. Can we talk? Officially, no. Unofficially? No. We have a problem. There's a changeling on board. That's what kept us from warping away. And judging by the state of the corpse in sickbay, it's been on the ship since before we picked up Dr. Crusher and her son. Something bigger is happening here. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me in the nebula... This is Tyler Orton, swimming in amniotic fluid. Well, that's uh, pretty disturbing sounding, but I'm glad you mentioned that because this week we are here to talk about episode four of the final season of Picard, No One's Scenario, and of course, we will be joined later on by a special guest, this time someone very special to the history of this podcast, Mr. Benjamin Young, the co-founder of Subspace Transmissions, as well as later on, we will have the Cam DeLorton Report and talk about episode two of season three of The Mandalorian. How many of our listeners right now actually remember the episodes that uh, Ben Young appeared on back in the day? Storm those archives, folks. <laughs> it's been a while. I think uh, we, we have uh, as much airtime given to us um, uh, giving him shout-outs as fallen co-host Ben Young as uh, he had on the show in those early days. That's very true, very true. But let's get back to the episode we're talking about up front here, no-win scenario. Tyler, what do you think? I feel like there is a hyphen missing in the episode title between no and win. That is the uh, copy editor in me um, uh, just taking over when I should be focusing on this episode, which I think is far and away the strongest yet of season three of Picard. Um, I I was totally going with it, and I I do have my nitpicks, of course I do, Um, all the way up to the very end where they had to insert the, uh, the Jack Crusher mystery vine view of the door sort of thing then then i the, the episode did kind of lose me i'll say this though cam it, it's um it, it by the end you get to something that feels like star trek again like the next generation even um there is a whole lot of despair and hopelessness and that's actually not something i'm used to finding in star trek you know like um po- point to an episode like year of hell the two-parter there Despite all the despair and hopelessness, it is people fighting for their survival no matter what. There's no signs of giving up, and that to me is what Starfleet always kind of stood for. And so for much of this episode, I was uh, I, I was liking a lot of those quieter moments, especially, you know, when uh, Picard and Jack go and, and chat and tend forward, you know. Uh, but then it wasn't really kicking into gear for me. It didn't really feel as if I was invested in it until Beverly comes in and she's like, people, come on, let's figure this out. I've got an idea here. That's where things really kind of kicked into gear because leading up to that moment, I thought it was good writing. Like you kind of thought that we were going to get like a Shrike deus ex machina once again, yeah. you know, um, but that did not happen. And um, we got a, we got a meteorite tractor beam 
into the noggin of the Shrike uh, at that point. So overall, I, I far and away my favorite episode so far this season. Cam, what are your initial thoughts here on no hyphen win scenario? Well, I was going to say, I haven't experienced this much hopelessness and despair since we watched uh, Picard season two, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> But no, this was a miracle of an episode, Tyler, and that we had, at least in my, from my point of view, two pretty good episodes of Picard in a row. That is not a thing that happens. And uh, this show so far seems to be on a very positive track. I'm crossing my fingers. We continue down this road. But it had, and we'll break it all down, but it had two things that I really enjoyed about it. One, it just spent time with the characters. We got to watch people have actual conversations. They weren't having these like very abbreviated just basically like we've been friends forever yes we have moving on to the next scene it actually spent time as characters had conversations that is a big win for me it also had a problem where people were working together to solve it and they were like throwing techno babble around like crazy and convincing me that they were solving the problem yeah and that's not a thing that happens in very much modern trek i think um strange new worlds was a little better at it but not to this degree. This felt much closer to what you would see on Next Generation or Voyager, where they are breaking down the problem, hitting me with enough information where I go, well, clearly these people know what they're doing. And I buy into the solution when it actually happens when I'm watching this asteroid get launched at Vatic and they escape from the nebula. Um, I was much more mixed on episode three than you were. If you had to choose between these last two episodes, uh, who do you uh, tip your cap to? It's really tough because I would say three has like tension going for it. And it's much more of like a, uh, you know, basically um, hunt through the nebula between the two. It's kind of like two different types of episodes. This was much more of a character episode. But I would say in terms of like consistent, strong writing, this is the better episode. Okay. It just for me, yeah, maybe that tension existed in, in episode three, but... Uh, that, that's not really what I'm signing up for. That's not enough to make like a great episode for me. Like I want the characters to be behaving like themselves. You know, I, I, I don't want the uh, uh, show to run off and follow overacting uh, like Raffi for, you know, like it, every five minutes, you know, I think you buckled down and you focused on one story in one week. I think this episode, as much as I love seeing Worf last week, and um, I kind of missed his presence this week. I'm glad we didn't go back to Worf. I'm glad that we were able to stick to a singular story and really drill down on what's going on, what's making these people tick. And I can totally buy, you know, the, the, these characters in this situation um, to a certain degree, you know, like moping around, like Riker moping around saying, we're all going to die, get used <laughs> to it. You know, like that doesn't quite strike me as Riker, but by the time we get into the final act, I, you know, the show's got me again, and we keep getting, like, great, like, stuff from uh, Captain Shaw, you know, oh. where, you know, it's just like, he, he literally goes, after sharpening his knife, which we all do <laughs> after having a concussion, Cam, uh, he's going to hit up 10 forward and confront Picard over Wolf 359. In my head, I actually wrote down notes. Like, I, I was like, I wonder what Shaw was doing during the Dominion War, like, after he and Seven of Nine had that uh, scene about, you know, hey... There's a changing on board. What do we do? And I was like, oh, what was Shaw doing uh, during uh, the Dominion War? Didn't occur to me, you know, like, yeah, this guy must have been around as, you know, kind of an ensign, you know, 30 years ago, serving at uh, Wolf 359. I still think, like, like, I, 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 a traumatizing experience for everyone involved. We see that with, say, Ben Sisko and Jake. Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing that here with Shaw. But it's like, they do understand that, like, Picard was 
taken against his will. He, he Borg drones <laughs> transported onto the bridge, beamed him away, and did this against Picard's will. Like, I, I, I realize, like, he's an embodiment. You know, he's the only Borg so bad they gave him a name. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, but it just, uh, it just seems like misdirected energy on that part. I mean, I think a lot of his anger was somewhat irrational in how he's expressing it to Picard, but I can I can understand it if like the individual who was uh pretty heavily involved in wiping out a good section of Starfleet, you would have a certain grudge against them. But yeah, it is a little bit like you know, Picard as you said, take it against his will. It's not like he took a transfer to a Borg ship, caused untold destruction <laughs> and was like, "You know, I'm going to go back to the uh, Enterprise. I don't like this job." It's like this was not uh, Picard in his right state of mind and as we've seen over the course of the franchise since he has very much like suffered through this and struggled through it and expressed that at multiple points so at this point is it kind of just like kicking someone when they're down uh yeah but I also appreciate that Picard is like yo dude hey I feel ya I'm just gonna walk away instead of mm-hmm. kind of giving that reaction that confrontation that Shaw was probably hoping for at that point yeah, and I thought like um, the scene of Shaw talking about like what happened to him, the fact that there was like fifty of his fellow, you know, ensigns and lower ranks, and they chose ten. Like that's a pretty effective story to communicate. And I thought that uh, Todd Stashwick did a fantastic job. I mean, he did an incredible job throughout this entire episode. I'm like, where has like this Starfleet captain been? Like this is a character who is so compelling, and. I would have rather have been watching, frankly, the Stashwick Chronicles, <laughs> the first two seasons of Picard, than than what I got. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and like, it, it's also just kind of remarkable to me. Like, do you think that they are essentially like, what if we gave, you know, Edward Jellico his own show? It, it, mm-hmm. It's almost that that's kind of what you kind of not necessarily an inspiration, but among the things that they're pulling from from Star Trek lore. Like, what is a character that kind of could use more exploration and i you know at, at a certain point uh what did he say he's like uh, you know i i ended up uh confusing being an asshole for charm and yeah. it's just like okay uh, here's my concern do they ever try to soften him up at some point you know like maybe there's speculation that they want to do some sort of you know star trek titan spin-off or something like that and I, who knows who knows but i, I i'm not sure i i want like a softened up Shaw. I, I like him being kind of like the prickly sort of captain. Yeah, he's way more fun as like kind of a thorn in the side of our heroes than as like the inspirational figure who's, you know, perhaps the co-lead of a new show or something like that. Like, uh, I don't know if I need that. Like, that's one of the things that was so great about Jellico as a supporting player was the way he, he came in. He was a very like prickly but very professional character and to watch all the leads we know butt up against him. And that's what we've got going here. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were looking at Chain of Command for inspiration because when you have a cast of all these returning favorites, they could easily just like kind of run the show on their own. The fact they injected uh, Shaw in the ongoing adventures and made him such a prominent role shows that they wanted that conflict and saw that you can really get that with a character like this. So his sparring partner, you know, Commander Seven, as we all know that uh, Crash Ferguson calls her. Uh, did you notice any Commander Seven references in the preceding four, uh, three or four episodes, Cam? Um, 
Okay. Uh, all I recall... No. The answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe there were references. Like, I, I, like, I, I wish they had uh, keyed it up with something just a little bit more obvious, you know? Like, um, you know, uh, what was your dad's favorite holograph program <laughs> again? You sure. know, Word got around Starfleet, right? Like, I, that, that could have been just, I don't know, something like that. Well, there was that very kind of awkward scene in the previous episode where... Um, Ferguson went to seven just outside our quarters and said like you'll always be commander seven to me or something like that and it was at the time like kind of an awkward somewhat inorganic scene but I guess it paid off uh, in this episode right? Cam, I just I love the fact that you're calling her Ferguson, um, which uh, that uh, puts a sparkle in my eye for anybody who's been with. I this, completely uh, re- blanked. Oh my god, that was not intentional. <laughs> Crash. I'm just gonna call her Crash. Crap. Uh, but listeners, this has been an ongoing joke since uh, episode one. If you're a Norm Macdonald fan, you know why we're calling her Crash Ferguson. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, you know. Oh. So some of the stuff that I, I did want to get into, uh, like this very much hinges on developing kind of the relationship between uh, Jack and between Jean-Luc, you know, and, and I kept asking like those flashback scenes, you know, from, uh, you know, going back five years ago, which I think this take place like a little bit before um, season one of Star Trek Picard. I think there's a big chunk of time between seasons two and season three that's uh, at least enough time for... Um, <laughs> commander seven of nine to make the rank of a uh, commander at that point but um i was initially wondering like are those cadets are they supposed to be trekkies is that supposed to be kind of the analog like uh won't let patrick stewart sit down they got to ask him all these stories from the past maybe things that uh, he doesn't recall um by the time his haddock goes cold we do have one last question from a guy wearing a hat best disguise ever uh in, in this century and remains to be so <laughs> in uh, the centuries to come um I, I was a little confused at the end. Was Jean-Luc suddenly remembering a man in a hat asked him about family <laughs> like five years ago at 10 forward while his haddock was cold? All the pieces started connecting in his mind and it was just like, boom. Uh, no. Okay. So I think the episode kind of gets across that Picard was remembering this, but yeah. I'm going to choose to believe that he didn't actually <laughs> okay. And that it's just giving us that flashback and the two things, you know, are paralleling each other in terms of what the story is, yeah. where it's going. But it would be pretty ridiculous if Picard suddenly was like, wait a second. I remember like five years ago, a group of like young cadets like and ensigns like surrounded me. And there was this one guy in a hat in the background. <laughs> I, <laughs> Unlikely. You know, um. Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> good on him for that. Um, speaking of Ten Ford, the real or the the, the holographic Ten Ford, I do like how we're going back to Voyager territory where they're trying to conserve as much energy as possible, but the holodecks can operate nonstop. And why? Well, they have an own, their own independent power source that somehow cannot be tapped, and um, <laughs> it's used in emergencies when people all know they're going down with the ship um so does that mean like like navy ships are equipped with like vr goggles cam and like um everybody uh-huh. just straps on into the oculus rip and um just just i don't know pretends that they're uh I, I don't know shooting hoops with lebron james or something if i were like going if my ship if i'm on the uh, titan here spinning into the abyss of this nebula i don't know that i would be like going to 10-4 just to like sit around and have drinks like i think i would be basically just like running around in a circle in my quarters i don't think i'd be like calm enough to be like well 
Well, I guess one more whiskey for the road, right? I, I mean, I guess it's the equivalent a little bit of the uh, musicians on the uh, Titanic, as we saw you know, in the movie, but apparently happened in real life as well. Yeah, you're more the Billy Zane on the Titanic. I, I, I know that. I um, am. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I, I, my, my inclination would be more towards Riker, at least trying to do a final message, you know, mm-hmm. like um, it would. And here's the thing. It was interesting to watch him struggle so much with whatever he and Deanna are going through. And he did bring it up, you know, but again, I, I have to kind of navigate whatever feelings might be going on in, in Riker's mind right now. And, and like he, he keeps going back to his uh, uh, son who's passed on at a very young age and he said that Troy just couldn't bear that Riker feels nothing anymore. Um, how long has that feeling been going on? And I also think to the fact that, like, he does have a daughter still who must be, I don't know, is Kesher probably like an adult at this point? If, you know, I, I'm thinking there's about a, a you know, four-year gap between uh, seasons one and, and seasons three of Star Trek Picard. I would have said Kestra was maybe like 12 or 13 maybe okay. in season one. So I'm just wondering yeah. if he's getting a empty nest syndrome or something like that. Like, I just I wonder, does Riker strike you? Well, I don't know. I I I guess I'm more caught up with kind of the timing of this. Like, has Riker felt nothing for the past, like, say, twenty years? Is is that what he's saying, or is it just these feelings have been, or lack of feelings have been emerging more recently? Well, that's the thing. I started questioning the timeline as well because we watched the episode Nepente where. I mean, look, this may have been going on at the time of Nepente, and they just kind of got a little distracted from that because Picard came to visit, but there was no real sense of that. Um, so, I don't know. Is this like a, something that has emerged recently? I don't really know. I was really confused about that, quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's like these little things that keep tugging at me, where it's like, how organic is this like i know that they're trying to tell stories about these characters but it just like are they earned that's what i keep wondering i think it's more that they just didn't plan out like where the show was going from season one so when they were writing nepente they didn't have a clue that this was going to be what they would be dealing with because i even think it's weird they haven't really mentioned kestra at all i I think they uh, Riker mentioned her in the first episode and okay. just said, like, Troy and Kestra could use a break from me right now. Right, um, right. So, well, yeah, I know. So, yes, of course, they didn't plan out this series. It's very obvious, Cam. Um, but it, it also means, like, you still need to acknowledge what was going on in season one. You know, you, you know, you, you kind of, if you want to do something with Riker, you got to have something that kind of lines up with what has come before. And this one, that's why I say it just doesn't quite feel earned. It, it feels as if, like, it, it's inorganic here. And there was no sense of, like, Riker preparing a final message for Kestra. Which, I don't know, I feel like if you asked a lot of parents, that would be, if they were in the same situation, they would be definitely leaving a communication to their children. And I'm sure the writers were like, um, yeah, dear Troy and Kestra. And the audiences would be like, yeah. who's Kestra? That came unless from Dark Page? I was like... going to say, they're, unless they're all big Dark Page fans from yeah. uh, Season 7 of uh, of uh, Next Gen. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this, Cam. Um, you're not really a wine guy, are you? <laughs> I don't think I've ever drank wine in my life, no. If uh, your long-lost father and you have one hour to live and he tries to pour you a wine and he's making a meaningful gesture... 
Um, would you say, I'm not really a wine guy to him, or would you just kind of at least sip at it? I think I'd be more like, why are you serving me wine? <laughs> like, you would, you should know better than this. Now, in Picard's case, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't he, know. He, you're, he, you guys uh, are kind of estranged. I mean, yeah, yeah. If, if I drink alcohol, yeah, I would just drink the wine, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about you, Cameron Smith. Well, I wouldn't drink it then. <laughs> okay. I'd be like, no. <laughs> no, no, I'd throw it against the I'm, wall. <laughs> give me my Shirley Temple <laughs> and make exactly. it a double. Or a Roy Rogers, yeah. <laughs> Extra grenadine, please. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be more appealing to me, yes. Okay. Um, so, Cam, can we track the plot as we know it um, so far yeah. of season three of Picard? So the changelings are behind this robbery at the Daystrom Institute. Uh, and part of that robbery got them this Doctor Strange portal machine. Mm-hmm. And based on what the show's telegraphing to us, they use that attack on that Starfleet recruitment center to throw people off the sense of whatever the ultimate plan is. And we now have Vatic who is a changeling, yep. a very strange changeling. Very not strange. The, not the kind of more refined, um, demure changeling we know from, say, uh, uh, Odo or uh, the one that Salome Jens uh, played, uh, you know, uh, the female changeling uh, back on Deep Space Nine. Um, and she's in pursuit of Jack Crusher, which I guess we did know, you know, mm-hmm. way back in the first episode. And... It, the reason why is because um, I don't oh, you know what Cam here's my theory <laughs> Jack Crusher he can have an admonition uh, just like the Jot Bosch <laughs> and uh, you know he just needs to smack his head hard enough Cam and uh, it, it'll solve that but um, so clearly he's seen like weird Twizzlers popping out of doors and stuff and that that's indicative of something and the, and the changelings want it and the changings are certain that Earth and Kronos are all going to be destroyed. You know, that's the plot so far. And it's still a mystery as to what our antagonists want in terms of what, what their motivation is. And when we're approaching the halfway mark, this continues to be a real big problem with Star Trek Picard when you don't know what the motivations are of your antagonists. And I get what the issue here is, is like if... The, the writers just spell out exactly what Vatic and the Changelings are up to, then you have your characters behind the eight ball the entire time. And that's also frustrating for the audience. But it is also the writer's decision to make this a mystery, which they don't have to do. Yeah. And so that's what, that, that's what continues to kind of gnaw at me uh, when I can just kind of uh, tug at the threads of a show like Star Trek uh, Picard, even though I'm uh, you know, quite enjoying an episode like this. Yeah. Um, we also had Vatic communicating with someone with more authority than her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> by doing so, by cutting off her hand and having that turn into some sort of like uh, hologram kind of thing. Uh, I wish I'd seen Odo do that more back in the day on DS9. <laughs> well, they're still working on the technology. Uh, remember <laughs> when it was a really big deal that you could get like holograms projected on the bridge or in Odo's, or not Odo's, in uh, Cisco's uh, uh, briefing room, you know? Right. Like um, they, they did that for like three or four episodes starting like, I don't know what, season five. And it just, it didn't quite catch on. No, maybe we should have had a scene of the female changeling or the J.G. Hertzler changeling that showed up. And was it the episode Chimera? 
Was that what it was? Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, they could have taught Odo how to like hack off an appendage and create a view screen. That would have been interesting. But like, I was looking at the face of this uh, thing on the other side, and it's clearly obscuring something because it looks terrifying. <laughs> it's future guy from uh, Enterprise, right? Well, I mean, it, he, you say that, but th I immediately thought of future guy because it, it is kind of like unsettling looking. It's clearly disguising something. And yeah, like I am very curious when they're going to actually tip us off as to what the actual plot is. They're giving us breadcrumbs. So I would say we're getting there. It's more the question of like when we get there, whether it's the halfway point, as you said, like we should know something by the halfway point, fingers crossed. Um, or if they're going to drag it out longer. Picard traditionally has dragged things out real long. I'm just hoping they learn from those lessons. And uh, we're not sitting here on episode nine with the big bombshell revelation. I predict we'll be sitting on episode eight. That, eight. That's okay. how they improve by little baby steps there, right? Okay. I mean, eight would be an improvement over Picard season two. So <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Yeah. I did want to ask you, like, the Jack Crusher visions, the, the red door and whatever, which actually reminded me a little bit. What was that horror movie we saw, Tyler, with Joel Edgerton? And it, it involved, like, a plague. And it was kind of like a, almost like an apocalyptic type thing. Um, I think it has, like, the word we in it or, or the word night in it. I know. It's like. It's I not we own the night. That's, um, that's a Joaquin Phoenix movie. Um, or it's not it comes at night, is it? Oh, I think maybe it is, yeah. Okay, because I remember there was a character in that that had visions that looked a lot like this, where it was even oh, like okay. a red door opening, and that's all I could think of. I just couldn't place the movie title. This means something, and I'm like, yeah. okay. The only thing that I was like hemming and hawing wondering is, because if you just think of like Picard, it's someone who was Locutus. They're now bringing up Borg stuff. Does the like the Picard DNA pass on something Borg-related that is manifesting itself in jack crusher um that's not anything i ever considered um hmm and it's not as if we have anything to refer to that you know it's not like hugh mm -hmm. had a child that we know of at least it's not as if seven um had uh, a child that we know of either or in egypt could, uh, or egypt yeah um uh yeah so i don't know i i, I mean i I don't think so. I don't think this is Borg related, personally. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on. Um, I, I, I'm i kind of more in the territory of this being annoying as like, <laughs> let's drag this out for how long? I feel yeah. like they're going to drag it out for much longer uh, than I would prefer. And it's not really improving the experience for me. And I suspect when I rewatch this season, I'm not going to be like, oh, genius that they dragged it out. The one thing I can say in its favor, and I'm not a fan of this sort of thing either, but the one thing I can say that's positive is they did this sort of thing last season with Picard having flashbacks to his mother's suicide and yeah. mental illness. In that case, Picard knew exactly what it was, and the show was just obscured, even though Picard could have communicated this to anyone else. Whereas in this case, it doesn't seem like Jack Crusher necessarily knows what's going on. You'd hope that he'd go to his mom, the doctor, and say, hey, isn't this weird? Well, that's true. That is a very good point, yes. Yeah. Um I I do like the fact that uh, uh Jack Crusher noted how weird it is that uh his mom named him after uh <laughs> her first husband, who Cam, I 
Okay, I may have gotten the math wrong in my head or been misperceiving it. I thought there was a bit more of an age gap between um, Jack Crusher the first and Jean-Luc Picard because um, Picard's uh, what, like a hundred now? So does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, so then, what I'm asking though is, how Wait. old was he? How old was Jack Crusher when he had Wesley? Well, I guess if Wesley's a god, if Wesley's fifty years old now, yeah. Um, and that hologram of Jack Crusher, the first that we saw way back in the day, it looked as if he was, say, 35 when he had Wesley. So, versus 50 when he had Wesley. So, um, maybe, huh. maybe Picard did not join Starfleet until he was 40. And that's why he was besties with, uh, one of the 18 year olds there. Wait a second. Now I'm like really considering this age thing. How old is Beverly, do you think, supposed to be on this show? I well yeah is Beverly supposed to be eighty or ninety like what's the age gap between her and Picard in Encounter at Farpoint? So I think the deal is I I think like um, Picard the character was always meant to be older than Patrick Stewart the actor. Okay. You know, uh, like Patrick Stewart was like forty eight when he started, mm-hmm. and I think he was meant to be closer to sixty. And so in my head, I just kind of okay. So Gate like Doctor Crusher has a 14-year-old son in season one of uh, TNG. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, that sounds right to me. So you would say she is late 30s, maybe 40? I would say late 30s, but, you know, I could be charitable and say, you know, closer towards the mid. But either way, yeah, it's like a, it's like a 13, 14-year difference between her and Picard. So that would put her at like 80, 85, 86. I no, I I think it's more like a twenty year difference between her and Picard. Okay, twenty year. Yeah. Okay. So I I think like Crusher, Doctor Crusher is playing about eighty right now. <laughs> I feel like this decision to make Picard a hundred is now making us look at all of the TNG cast and go, wait a second. Well, wait a second. Did did the actors in the TNG cast know how old they were playing on this season of Star Trek Picard? Cam, I hate to break it to you, all the actors except for Lavar Burton are in their seventies, uh, uh, and same with Patrick Stewart. But I know that, but do you think they... Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. De- uh, 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 sorry, uh, Marina Sirtis is in her 60s as well. Right, but do you think they knew that they were playing like 80 <laughs> this season? Cam, I-, I think you kind of assume actors ask these kinds of questions uh, more often than not. That's a good point, actually, yes. Yeah. Yes. I think they're just like, eh, we're playing our same characters. Um, yeah, so I'm just... <laughs> so I'm just very curious about the Drac Crusher senior age at this point where okay you know what maybe i could buy it if this is supposed to be if the 40 year old actor that they have playing uh the new jack crusher is supposed to be 23 24 as a picard guest made it there um Mm. sure let's go with it yeah the ages make no sense essentially no i'm just willing to go with it at this point but it it doesn't quite seem to line up yeah uh other things that don't seem to line up cam um so this really is the Titan, but it has an A designation to it. They kept calling it a refit, kept calling it a refit, and I mm-hmm. kept scratching my head as to why it has an A designation. Designation, But as they had said before, you know, like Shaw had to scrub all the jazz music out of the systems. And then he also said very explicitly the nacelles, are, the nacelles systems are at least like 20 years old. Why is there an A designation on designation? On this ship. I would say it's because they think it sounds cool. Yes, and I think you are correct. 
you know, and you had like the A introduced in like Star Trek Four. That was such like a iconic moment, and to announce the Titan A just sounds really awesome. A is for awesome. It makes me angry. <laughs> it legit annoys me because this makes no sense. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Unless, of course, can do you know? Okay, what? That, now I'm gonna have to like uh, headcanon it. Uh, the reason why it was called the A at the very end of the voyage home is because they went and picked up all the scraps that mm-hmm. landed on the Genesis planet, mm-hmm. put it all together, and that was a big refit. And then they called the Excelsior class one the B because uh, they completely redesigned it. And then uh, same with the C, same with, you know, so on and so forth. You know, they went back to uh, Veranda 3 after Generations, pulled up that saucer section, and reconfigured it into the Enterprise E. Is that what we're supposed to be believing now when you go from the um, the uh, alphabetical designations? Maybe all you need is just like one part. You find one small part of the original <laughs> yes. ship and then build a whole new ship around it. And then you call it the refit. Cam. I, okay, you, you've sold me on that. Yes, we are <laughs> we are now on the same page. Um, speaking of other refit vessels, um, there there was that curious line, or not curious, but notable line in which we did have Shaw say, you know, like, uh, hey, forget about all that Stargazer shit. The real Borg are still out there. Mm-hmm. And I liked how they acknowledged that, you know, it, it's not like um, Jurati the Borg <laughs> Queen has taken over the collective. She's her own collective. So there is still a threat of the Borg out there. I don't think we'll ever address what Jurati's up to ever again. I think they, they'd rather just forget about that uh, very strange-looking Borg queen with, it, like, her head was copy and pasted on the body for some reason. Um, but I, don't know, I, I do like some sort of acknowledgement uh, uh, that the Borg are a threat. Yeah, because if you're to leap off of Picard Season 2 into the future of the Borg within the franchise... Uh, I don't know that that's a compelling for an audience. So I think they want to like leave the Borg as a potential threat going forward. So this is a very smart way of doing it. Just kind of like leaving that kernel there so that, you know, whether a future show or whatever decides to tackle them, you can still say, no, no, this was, this was mentioned in Picard season three. Yeah. Like if they're staying vague with it, I'm okay. Um, one thing I'm not okay with, or at least one thing that's bugging me, um, the reference to the Herogen. Yeah. Um, and they even ask, like, do you know how they got into this quadrant? So they're like, oh, yeah, they're a Delta Quadrant species. But then they, and this is what bugs me. They made reference to one Lieutenant Commander Worf mm. dealing with them, which tells me that uh, he's somehow serving on the Enterprise E um, immediately after uh, Data's death. Yep. And Riker departs for the Titan. And they never really acknowledged, you know, Worf departing like the diplomatic corps to return to Starfleet, but he's still a lieutenant commander at that point. Like my assumption is that Worf would be the XO aboard the Enterprise E, but he's going by lieutenant commander rather than full commander. I don't know what's going on with Worf. And I feel like Terry Metalis, the showrunner, he seems to care about the character because he mm-hmm. would talk about how he wanted to pay off Worf's journey through DS9 as well as TNG. So... I'm just kind of like waiting for that scene or something where Worf talks about what he's been up to and exactly what the journey was that brought him to this point. Because He's been working on himself, Cam. He has been working on himself. Because I have the most questions about him of any character. Like, there's no one else on this show. I, I mean, I have questions about where Picard is at this point, but I know how we got here. Um, whereas, like, Worf, 
it just seems like so much of it is shrouded and uh, in kind of confusion and just the fact that like when it came to the movies they wanted him on the bridge of the enterprise they didn't want to deal with warp and the diplomatic core but i'm kind of waiting for at least at the very least a hand wavy answer as to why you know he why he's here and also what he's been doing okay okay i, I wonder if they're they, they might want to keep that a little bit under wraps at least for the time being you know they keep it obscure enough it like I, I the thing that i fear though is that they they might be planning and I say this by, say, like, uh, showrunner Terry Metalis. He's hinted quite a bit that he would love to continue telling journeys within this era. And he's kind of hinted that maybe there could be some sort of setup for that. If we do get rid of Shaw by the end of this, do we end up with a, a Captain Worf with Seven of Nine and Raffi on the bridge with him kind of spin-off series? That probably makes the most sense, because I think they'd want to keep some classic characters. Those three seem like the most viable going forward. Raffi does <laughs> like well you know what they clearly like Raffi they've kept they her do. around for this season and so you have those three plus you know um obviously you know Crash and some of these uh, Jack, uh, Jack Crusher and some of these newer characters working with them it's kind of that blend it's like Saved by the Bell the new class where Screech is there <laughs> oh okay um Captain Worf the new Screech <laughs> Exactly. I, I drew a parallel to a show that I'm sure everyone treasures and holds in fond regard, yes. Just as fond regard as, as Star Trek, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, I did like the reference to goo people, walking, talking, clay-doh. Um, uh, Resigoo. <laughs> like, I would uh, like to refer to changelings as that moving forward. I mean, I did appreciate the hunt for the bucket, which felt very Star Trek Six with the boots. Uh, but I would not recommend, if you're like an undercover changeling, hiding your bucket or receptacle behind like a lit panel where you can see a silhouette of it. Yeah, that made me kind of groan. And the fact that you uh, compared it to the thrilling boot hunt from the Undiscovered <laughs> Country Cam, shame on you, sir. Well, it's very clear that's what they were trying to evoke. Not so much that it was as successful as the boot hunt. She's like, I'm going through his underwear drawer. Not, no, <laughs> the the bucket is not in this tight drawer. I'm shocked. Um, I do like how um, Seven was like, uh, like we had Shaw. I was like, you got to steal their pot. <laughs> pot? I'm assuming you're not referring to cannabis. Um, <laughs> I was just like, if we're getting like funny lines like that from like Seven, I mean, like I I like that sort of stuff. I just I like how like her character's development. And growth and change, it just seems so much more organic than, you know, Picard, uh, who just, it's just an entirely different character, and like, which I keep saying, but here's what it feels like, Cam. Uh, I was watching, like, some clips uh, last night of TNG. Somebody did kind of a montage of all these great Picard moments, and um, it, it's, like, Patrick Stewart is doing a, a different performance. He's not performing Picard the same way. Let's pretend, and just go with me, I'm not, I'm not speaking in literal terms, but let's pretend, you know, the Picard we knew always spoke in a North American accent, but mm -hmm. the performance we're getting now, he's speaking in an Australian accent. And you're like, right. uh, wait a minute, uh, where'd that come from? It just, it just doesn't track for me, like how he's playing this character, how he's portraying this character, and kind of the decision-making of this character, which a lot of the uh, apologists out there will say, that's called character development. That's called character growth. I can buy it with Seven of Nine. 
Like, it, that's the thing that I, I, I find frustrating, though. Like, I, I, I'm totally with her there. Um, with Worf as well. Um, mm-hmm. d- yep. Just, it, it's the stuff that kind of irks me with, uh, with say, you know, the, the versions we've seen of Riker, Picard, and Troy so far this season. Like, they're saying things, they're doing things that just don't quite ring true to me. Despite the excuse, like, that's called character development. I mean, Beverly... The shift into Commando Crusher was definitely it threw me a bit for a loop. But in terms of like watching interactions between her and Picard or her son, I'm like, I, I can see Beverly. Like this feels like Beverly to yes. me. And I have a hard time imagining that um, Jordy will feel that off either. Um, so it really does feel like, as you said, those three that I I just don't know the I don't know how we got here especially because i feel like they really cracked how to write troy in a really interesting way with nepente yeah and i mean to be fair to marina certis and wesley crusher (laughs) well maybe not wesley (laughs) but uh you know to be fair to marina certis we've only had view screen scenes so far i would like a proper sequence where she's actually interacting with her you know castmates that will go a long way towards convincing me that this is the uh at least the troy i saw in nepente but it does feel very strange with Riker because we've spent a lot of time with him this season and it does feel off. Whereas like Picard, he's been on a three season journey to this bizarro form that he's in now. And <laughs> there's been a lot of bad writing that's informed it. And we have watched it minute by minute and watched him become what this is. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's not like I'm okay with it. I, I'm I'm just used to it at this point with Picard. Whereas, like, when we saw, like, tr- uh, like Troy demanding that, you know, you better bring the whiskey with you. I got puke uh, all over. It's just like, that's, that's not Troy at all. Yeah. You know? Um, hmm. Uh, I forget who said this line. I really wish it, it was either Crusher or it was Picard. But it was really the line that sold me on this episode. It's when they're figuring out, you know what? We might have a way out of this. And if this is the end, let's face it together, doing what we know best. Thank you. Thank you. That is what I've always loved about uh, Next Generation. It's just like these are problem solvers. These are not people anchored by despair. These are highly competent people that might have their flaws, but they're also incredibly good at being smart and getting stuff done. And this is just kind of a moment I'm like, like, yes, this feels like Star Trek again. I'm pretty sure that was Picard. And he said it when like Riker was storming away and then Riker stopped and then turned around and gave a suggestion. Mm-hmm. I think that's the moment it was. Okay. Um, I also like just preceding that we did get a far point uh, encounter at far point <laughs> shout out, which was totally amazing there. And jellyfish, jellyfish in space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oh, so then right after that moment, Cam, there was this like this really great tracking shot like around the bridge, like one that we haven't quite seen in Star Trek before, where the camera's just kind of giving us like this almost like 360, not quite 360, but kind of 360 view and circling around ultimately to Riker. I, this episode was uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes, uh, his second one in a row. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it just it was just like that kind of directing is really what I, I found very effective, more so than some of the... I don't know, mishaps and slip-ups and really unclear and awkward editing that I think came about because of bad directing, more notably in episodes one, two, than I think in uh, three, four. Yeah, I would agree. I think in terms of like 
directing this very character-driven episode. This was a strong effort from Jonathan Frakes. The only thing I can like point fingers to, and I don't even blame him for this, there was two very jarring edits with the classic Paramount Plus commercial <laughs> breaks. I, I'm just going to make peace with this at this point. Really? Just say to Paramount, like, uh, congratulations, you make your show worse with those. So, yes. Uh, awesome. <laughs> um, I cannot explain it, Cam. You know, I watch way more television than you do. Yeah. Um, I don't see this in anything else on streaming whatsoever. Yeah, it's inexplicable. And uh, if everyone's effort was to make a product that looks worse than it would otherwise, congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Ho- I hope your commercials work out really well for you. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, another thing that I, I, I wanted to give a shout out to is, um, you know, uh, they're like, oh, yes, uh, new life, new civilizations. <laughs> and Riker's like, I think we should boldly get the hell, hell out of here. Uh, <laughs> that was awesome. That was pretty awesome. It does feel like this season was written by someone who genuinely loves TNG and maybe has to work within the framework of Star Trek Picard in this newer era of Picard, or of uh, Star Trek you know, TV. But... There are enough references and enough self-awareness that it's really working for me. And I'm just like praying we can kind of hold the course with what we've had the last two episodes. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, okay. So this episode to me definitely felt like the end of a first act. Mm-hmm. And generally in, in in like film and television, like the second acts are a little bit shorter than the first and third. So my suspicion is, you know, they, they sent out the first six episodes. I, I think that you know episode six will end the second act and then we'll go into kind of the uh the 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 final go of things from there um how does the show feel to you so far let's say this is the end of the second uh, the first act at this point well i mean it has the issue that we've talked about which is like just obscured motivations but in terms of like setting up where we're gonna go i guess i have to say it's working because i'm genuinely interested in seeing what happens next which was not necessarily the case with some other seasons. Uh, Discovery season four, I was not like, I can't wait to see what happens next after whatever, four or five episodes. So it's hooked me. Um, I, it, it's such a low bar, but in terms of like Star Trek Picard, <laughs> yeah. it's like hitting a home run. <laughs> no, no, not really. Um, so before we jump over to our guest, Cam, um, I do want to give a couple shout outs to uh, a couple of those great uh, Shaw moments there. Um, I like the fact that the ship's going down and he's got a big, big glass of wine right at his nightstand as he's like napping there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like when um, uh, Seven comes to tell him what's going on with the, uh, you know, there's a changeling on the ship and he's like, uh <laughs> congrats your uh, heroes are doing a hell of a job with my ship you know and it's like uh, like like my fears like th- this character may not be long for the world we'll see sure we'll see but uh i'm having fun while it lasts with regards to uh this uh captain shaw right now i like when he's giving seven you know kind of the direction of find the pot for the uh, changeling and all that sort of thing and then she walks away and he's like thank you and he's like whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Or else when like she's trying to like uh get into his room, she keeps pushing the alert button and he keeps saying, Don't come. Don't come. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, I know. To me this is this is what kind of Star Trek needed. They're just kind of this kind of different sort of energy. And that, that that's kind of what I'm being drawn to. This to me feels very much like um, you know, the uh stamets we got, you know, in mm. uh episodes, I guess three through six seven yeah 
of uh, Discovery until they completely rewrote his character and turned him into something else after getting high off of uh, mushrooms or something. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully if Shaw does continue on with the franchise, he gets uh, better future writing than what Stamets got. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fingers crossed. Mm. All right, sir. Well, very special guest, uh, Cam. (laughs) Years in the making, we uh, we have one uh, Benjamin Yong. Our fallen co-host, he's coming back, Cam. Uh, Let's join him now. Yeah, let's beam on over and cross your fingers, folks, that he's there when we get over there. (laughs) (laughs) It's still a question mark. And now, beaming into the nebula to join us for further discussion of No Wins Scenario, original Subspace Transmissions co-founder, Benjamin Young. Uh, yeah, great to be back, guys. Uh, looking forward to this episode. Um, Cam, how long has it been since one Benjamin Young, uh, co-founder of Subspace Transmissions, has has joined us for an episode? So uh, we actually, behind the scenes, were trying to figure this out. The episode was episode 62 from October 22nd, 2015, our review of Encounter at Farpoint. Very fitting. We had space jellyfish there, and we've got them here as well. Very nice. Uh, so while we may not keep in contact on the podcast, uh, I think the three of us, uh, we, we're grabbing beers uh, just uh, just the other night. And uh, unfortunately, the brewery we were at no longer would accept our Groupons, uh, Ben. Uh, and you and I were both pretty bitter about that. That's right. But, uh, you know, just three founding fathers having, having a brewski. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just no, and then we also broke into row, row, row your boats, uh, just as we saw in uh, uh, the final frontier. So, um, Benjamin, I gotta ask, were you pumped when you found out that Star Trek would be returning, and uh, you got the first couple episodes uh, in 2017 of Star Trek Discovery? What, what, what's your journey uh, been like over the last six years of the return of Star Trek to the small screen? Yeah, I mean, obviously I was looking forward to it because there was such a long gap in between uh, Trek being on TV. But watching Discovery when it first came back uh, or first came on the air definitely was a different feel to the Trek that I remembered watching uh, as a younger man. Um, Admittedly, I've watched, I think, the first season and then a bit of the second season of Discovery wasn't really vibing with the content so it took a bit of a break um and then when picard came back uh came onto the air i watched the first season of that which was okay uh but as i told you guys uh behind the scenes i haven't really kept up um until most recently when i was asked back on the podcast and i i just kind of ran ran through uh picard season two and up until episode four of season three and what were your thoughts ben on picard season two um uh, yeah i mean what can you really even say about that um <laughs> <laughs> definitely a lot of moments leaving me speechless not not in the great way um not in a great way just uh very strange storytelling and um you know i think we've laughed about just bizarre scenes like picard getting run over by a uh, tesla mm-hmm. um <laughs> i think that was the highlight of the season for me um honestly very forgettable i i even though i just finished watching it, i can't really even if i were to describe what happened over the 10 episodes i really honestly couldn't because i was most of the time i was watching it in the background to be honest i mean the season just it's felt very amorphous in that it was just like look they're in la and they're in the french vineyard and it's just 
it, it was hard to tell like uh, so many episodes kind of bled into each other and i was just like oh yeah look they're at a gala oh next episode they're still at that same gala i was just like what am i watching here it just it, it just did not work for me and really honestly like that whole backstory with picard and his traumatizing childhood like i don't really know if that really added to the series or if we really needed to know that i mean it was it was kind of better that we didn't uh really have that glimpse into his his boyhood they're kind of treating like the picard that we knew and kind of grew up with and really appreciated like he's a profoundly flawed man because he was a little bit more aloof and a little bit more distant or cold and i always saw that as more of a feature of him not a bug and they were like no he's a deeply traumatized person and all you liked about him uh, you know those 30 years ago well it all stems from trauma i'm just like oh okay then yeah and uh i don't know it's it's almost as if you know he's not really playing the original picard he's he's kind of you know as we've said before he's kind of playing himself he's playing patrick stewart so it's it's weird to see glimpses of the old Picard here and there. I mean, definitely we've seen more of that this season than, than last season. Um, but just very strange seeing this sort of version of him. Well, maybe we should jump into season three. And before we get to this latest episode, what has been your thoughts just on the initial launch, say the first three episodes? Yeah. Uh, honestly, like I didn't have much expectations going into it. That's fair. But yeah, but honestly, you know, I, I heard there was a buzz around season three being much better. And I had my doubts still until I, I loaded up the episode and, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I was honestly a bit worried that it was going to be like a one hit wonder for the first episode, but the, I've really honestly been pretty happy with what they've done this season so far. And which character have you felt the most excited to revisit? Oh, I, I mean, it's gotta be Riker, right? He, you know, mm. and, and right off the bat, he, it was nice to see Frakes uh, kind of get back on beat pretty quickly. Like it wasn't like watching a totally different character. Like like uh, many times I felt when I was watching uh, Patrick Stewart play Picard this time around. Um, but yeah, I think I think Frakes for for me. What about you guys? Uh, for me personally, uh, Worf. You know, like I had. I, I mean, uh, Rafi is not really a character that I think has been particularly compelling over the last two seasons, but she was even fun just bouncing off Worf, and they're making comments, you know, about, like, uh, you know, uh, Klingon casual wear, and he's working on himself. And it seems like a, a more chill Worf is actually a more interesting Worf to me, so I had a lot of fun just watching him and, and kind of catching up with him. And I buy that he has kind of grown as a character, and it doesn't seem as jarring to me as, you know, whatever they want to claim to be character growth when it comes to Picard, who seems like an entirely different person than who we knew 30 years ago. And I would say, I think for myself, Seven. And I wouldn't have said that necessarily in seasons one and two, where she was like going to knife, like, you know, Dr. Soong to death or something like that. But this season, I think she just has the better, you know, character to bounce off of. Like, I've really liked Worf, but he's also bouncing off of Raffi, who I haven't been as crazy about this season. Whereas, like, I'm really liking Shaw, so seeing Seven play opposite Shaw has worked out really well. What do you guys think of her suddenly becoming Borg again last season? I thought it was dumb. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it just, like, and then <laughs> it was also dumb when, like, okay, now we need to, like, you're healed. And so you're 
implants are going to like appear in the exact same spot, even though you're coming from an entirely different universe. And I was like, what? Like it just, <laughs> it, it didn't really track to me. Yeah. It seemed like they just kind of threw that back in there, like for no apparent reason, really, other than just to do it. That's well, season two, like uh, summarized right there. Um, but yeah, I, I was trying to think, you know, uh, going back to Worf, what was the most violent thing we had seen Worf do in Trek? Uh, up until this point where he's cutting off heads and stabbing people through, people through the heart. <laughs> I would say that there's a couple different things you could point to. Uh, you know, he did slice off a, a Borg drone's forearm with his mechlath in the saucer dish, or not the saucer dish, but the uh, deflector dish sequence in First Contact. He also impaled Gowron in uh, Deep Space Nine and uh, killed him to become Chancellor ever so briefly. And then I guess uh, when he killed Duras as well, uh, that, was, that was quite violent. But um, I was not prepared to watch Worf behead Ferengi gangsters. Yeah, that was a bit uh, visually jarring. What do you guys, yeah, what, what else do you guys think about, um, like, Trek now obviously being uh, freed from the shackles of network restrictions uh, back in the day? Like, do we need to see blood and guts and swearing and beheadings like do you think that fits uh the trek universe no i mean <laughs> i the violence i don't mind violence if it makes sense but like they use it a lot of time to be like violence is bad but doesn't this look awesome so when you're just showcasing it so like wharf can behead someone no i find it eye rolling and i think like tyler and i've been doing reviews of the mandalorian or shows like andor as well um in this podcast and i mean those shows don't need to show like blood and guts to get sort of the harshness of violence across and in terms of like the swearing i don't know like i find some of it very eye-rolling but i i will say like there's never been a single example where i thought to myself i'm really glad they can swear now or Klingon nudity that that really added a whole <laughs> lot more when i was watching season one of uh discovery i mean it's like Great family viewing right there. Added something. I, I don't know what. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. I mean, do we want to see Captain Picard say dipshit? <laughs> like, I just don't think that's necessary. Well, we also had Riker kicking <laughs> off the season uh, of the first episode saying uh, pee and fart in, uh, <laughs> oh, in various moments there as well. I, I, I understand it's a different age and it's a different way to consume media, but at the same time, if you change the entire vernacular of the show, then, I mean, there's just no continuity there, right? Well, is I, I remember watching Star Trek Generations in theaters. And, you know, the ship blows up, the, uh, the battle section does anyway. And you cut to Data going, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. And... For me, in the theaters, you could hear kind of like like kind of a bit of a roar from the audience, like kind of laughter, because it was kind of jarring. You you would just never expect that. But when you have people like dropping f bombs all the time, and it's just I'm like, um, who who is this for? Mm -hmm. Like that's what I keep wondering. Like th this is obviously not meant for families. Although, just didn't feel like growing up like Star Trek was a show that you could watch with your families. Yes, I mean, yeah, but it's also different because it was on network television. So a lot of times, you know, I I know my own. Uh, extended family they would just you know be sharing a couch on the weekend flipping it through the channels and they would come on tv and they'd watch it together but now with with uh media and content being so fragmented like is that even the case anymore do you think well i but it's 
I, you're asking the wrong one. <laughs> like I, um, there's shows that I watch at the same time that my family is watching, but we're not necessarily sitting together, you know, like survivor. Mm -hmm. uh, those are shows that I follow along and, you know, um, and I, I guess the shows that I'd watch with like exes would be like the bachelorette. Um, and those are not necessarily family shows. So uh, you're, you're probably asking the wrong guy right now. Yeah. And, no, I mean, I, and, you know, kind of to your point, um, about the movies, like I, I never really, I never really, I, and I know, I know the movies are part of the whole universe, but I never really thought of the movies as, as the same, along the same kind of like vein as the TV show, because I mean, obviously mm -hmm. they're created for, uh, a wider audience. And oftentimes I feel like, you know, they, they were, it was almost like a, an alternate universe in a way, you know, even, even I remember being a kid and watching generations and thinking like, why is the bridge so dark? And like <laughs> yeah. suddenly it's like a, like a different ship. Like, like I, yeah. from that moment on, I knew it was going to be like a, something entirely different. Well, why is the ship so dark uh, right now uh, on the Titan? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and sorry, like, is the Titan supposed to be a retrofitted oh, ship boy. from like, a, yeah, like I'm not really, what's going on there? Uh, so <laughs> we, we, we've discussed this and Cam, what was your theory, Cam? That they kept one part of the old ship and built a new one around it. So maybe there's like a door or something like that from an old ship. Oh, boy. It's like the fact that they call it a, the, the Titan A, when in fact it's a refit of uh, of uh, what's uh, of Riker's original Titan. That's what they keep describing it as. Like they're talking about these 20-year-old nacelles and how he had to scrub jazz out of the systems. Uh, so I'm like, What? And then, but the, you look at the ship designs, like lower deck, uh, de lower decks version of the Titan uh, that we saw, versus this version of the Titan. Like they're, they're completely different ships. This is just not a, a refit. So, I kind of like Cam's explanation. Like, yeah, uh, remember that chair? That's from the original. <laughs> it's a refit. It works. Sure. How much do you think, like, the uh, showrunners show need to explain? like the history of Trek or the history of TNG or whatever to the new audiences of viewers. Cause I feel like sometimes, sometimes they're cramming in some information or characters or knowledge that a lot of new viewers might gloss over. Well, it's such a tricky thing with like, like really clumsy exposition dumps that have been part and parcel of Star Trek Picard. Like, I think there's a better way to get this across. And a lot of it goes to show don't tell, you know, that old rule that, mm. Sometimes a show doesn't really want to follow, you know, and I, I think like you're telling your best stories when you don't have to fill in blank after blank after blank, not nonstop. If you make the more kind of universal stories the ones that aren't necessarily contingent on these being characters that have existed for like 35 plus years. That's my fear. If they start introducing DS9 or Voyager, more Voyager characters where we're going to have to like stop things dead to explain for example who kira is or who carrie kim is <laughs> who, who ensign kim is who the ghost of joe carrie is <laughs> or no the ghost from uh uh sub rosa who, who that's the real father uh, of uh, jack crusher <laughs> that's the plot behind this whole thing like it's the ghost is ronan is running the changelings that's why he keeps seeing these weird visions you know uh, <laughs> but instead of green it's red Wait, how many how many years has it been since a changeling has been in the universe? Since we've seen one, um, yeah, 
or 1998. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we're talking like at least a quarter century. There was the changeling that showed up on Discovery, but that's obviously set well after the events of Picard. But yeah, right. But don't you feel like they kind of just plopped the changeling in there with like really no reference or explanation? Like, and they just start talking about changelings. I feel like I don't know. They could have done a better job somehow easing or transitioning that character or that species into the show. I don't know. Maybe that's just my own my own thoughts. I do wonder how it would play to people who only watch TNG and are tuning in to watch the TNG reunion and they're just dropping mentions of the Dominion War and like a separate sect of changelings that have like spun off and are rebelling. Uh, They might be a little confused. Yes. Like, you know, as you guys know, I was a TNG watcher. and I never watched DS9 really until talking to you guys. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people out there that are the same way who but who never picked up ds9 and so they, they're probably wondering like what the hell's a dominion war <laughs> they're lost <laughs> they're fools <laughs> um but yeah i don't know uh so yeah the, so the changelings and man like i have to say the graphics uh improvement over the last quarter century has been drastic depending some of the cg in Picard <laughs> season two was terrible but yeah. yes agreed agreed so ben what did you think of this latest episode though specifically no win scenario um yeah it's it's uh it's interesting they're they're uh i mean it was a pretty good cliffhanger from the second episode when the ship was kind of just adrift uh i thought that it was kind of funny that the gravity well turned out to be a a living being and they just you know trek seems to love talking about amniotic fluid <laughs> um you know and i'm just like really like they're gonna turn this into a into like a pregnant space phenomenon but i don't know i, I thought i thought the characters uh work really well together and you know what's unexpectedly i thought that a bright spot in the show is uh jack crusher mm. a, didn't really expect to, you know, I mean, the accent, uh, British accent is a little bit weird, uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought, I thought the character, his character is actually quite compelling and, and uh, uh, adds to the, adds to the story of the season. I think they found like a solid actor, like one with charisma yeah. and one who also resembles uh, one Patrick Stewart. Um, this guy is he, like, he has all the, uh, the ingredients to not work. Uh, for people just coming back for season three because the legacy characters and people mm-hmm. could complain he's taken up too much screen time. This guy's actually working for me. Um, despite the whole, um, I put a hat on to go meet my father and ask him about family at a bar. Yeah, right. Um, and I mean, this is not his, uh, not Picard's first, uh, or not the first Picard son storyline. Uh, nope. Refresh my memory. What was the one on TNG where he where he had a uh, fake son. Yeah, that was the episode Bloodlines from uh, right, right. I think it was like the third to last episode. It's like right at the end, and essentially is uh, was it Damon Bach was trying to make Picard think he had a son so he could get revenge on him for killing um, the Damon's son at the uh, the Stargazer incident uh, years earlier. Right. So I thought this was a kind of a neat sort of callback. Uh, to to that and um yeah i don't know i i personally like the actor but what about you cam what do you think so far he's working for me and if you could sit a new character down with 
a classic character and I'm actually interested in hearing for what both of them have to say, then things are working. Because a lot of the new characters created on Star Trek Picard have not been that interesting. And I have not really cared what they had to say. And so the fact that I actually felt something, even if like the hat setup was kind of goofy, <laughs> the fact that like I was actually kind of moved by his response to having Picard say he only needs Starfleet, that tells me that the character is working and I want to hear more from him. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I felt. And what about the dynamic between Picard and Riker? I'm, I was trying to think back because Riker seemed kind of like a pussy in this episode <laughs> was he always like that or like like was was picard always the one that was like i, I don't think so right like to your point like i some of the stuff that is not working for me in the last two episodes especially is these moments where it just doesn't seem as if these are the characters that we know and and i, I get annoyed when people online are like well it's called character growth but i'm like well you need to show that you know and you just can't like jump ahead and make these characters act in completely different ways in ways they don't seem natural you know um wharf has changed in a way that i think seems natural seven has changed in a way that i think seems natural the dynamic we're getting with picard and riker i, I like i know that they're setting all this stuff up with well you know like riker lost a son and he's feeling nothing inside and I think they're trying to do that, but it doesn't it doesn't work for me. I like I I think it it's I understand what they're doing in concept, but I don't think the execution has been uh very good. And I, I think when you have those two characters having conflict like this, it just doesn't ring true to me. When did the uh storyline of Riker losing his son happen? So that would have been in season one of Picard, in which uh we, we heard about that backstory there. Okay, yeah, because uh, I, I completely forgot about that, even though I'd watched the first season of Picard. I guess that was two years ago now, or two, three years ago. Well, it's for um, very dumb reasons. Is like their son died at a young age because he had a silicon-based virus, and a, a, like since we're banned from because of a galactic treaty, and um, so they couldn't get some positronic cure. I don't know. It's, it just made no sense to me. Was it also kind of strange how they? It seems like they've completely pivoted the focus in season three, and all the things, all the characters that were introduced in the first couple of seasons, seem to kind of just not be acknowledged and don't exist anymore. Yes, it's incredibly strange. Can you name another show that did this? <laughs> it, it, it's not good television writing. It just shows what little vision the show had from the get-go and from what i understand they had to throw out eight of those 10 scripts from the first season and then just kind of start from scratch going from there again you know so there's just never been any sort of vision uh you know season two you can't tell me there's much vision going into that like i do understand that they wrote seasons two and three back to back but the show like you're like oh no it's a show that reinvents itself every year well i'm like okay well doesn't mean it's very good what it feels like is is like the people behind the scenes going, oh, no one seems to like the first couple of seasons. Let's just bring back the entire TNG cast, and uh, uh, yes. you know, <laughs> and let's go, let's go for that, you know, the low hanging fruit there. Yes, um, and it's working yeah, for them. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, but and hey, okay, and this is kind of funny too. What, like, one of the first things that jumped out at me this season was like, wow, they're really introducing another scary looking pointy ship with some <laughs> random ne neo goth person sitting sitting in the in the captain's chair i'm like really guys like how many times do we have to revisit this it won't be the last time i, I promise you that. <laughs> like 
That, if anything is eye-rolling, that is probably the single most eye-rolling thing. Is Vatic actually literally smoking cigarettes as a changeling? I, or yes. Is, is she, pre- or those like fake cigarettes, like or like changing cigarettes? And so does that mean changeling smoke is dissipating into the atmosphere, then the particles are falling back into her and reabsorbing? Like, I don't understand the whole logistics of her smoking. Also, uh, since when did changes have to chop off their hand with a knife to get <laughs> to talk to some larger overlord changeling guy? Like, like where where did that come from? Maybe she's a, uh, a changeling humanoid hybrid. I don't know. It makes it's you'd figure she could just like wiggle it off, right? Just a lot of bizarre things happening, but. Um... <laughs> That should be the tagline for Picard. It's just like yeah. a poster of the whole cast. It just says below a lot of bizarre things happening. Do you think Picard is slowly uh, coming back into his old character again? Uh, definitely much more than the first couple seasons. Uh, I mean, I think we. Yes, I would say this is an improvement over the previous two seasons in terms of presenting Picard. But I don't know that the show is going to get him to a recognizable Picard. I think at best we can get to maybe like a movie era Picard where it's a little off, but it's somewhat recognizable. Like eh, just, I don't, I don't want to sure. see, I don't want to see sing songy Picard, you know, like, <laughs> like filled with emotion and like, like, like that's not the Picard. And you know, yes, I know he's older now, but I mean, that's, is that really an excuse or is that just something that we're trying to justify his strange behavior? He's also a robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's pursuing the stars. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. I've lost you all to the stars. <laughs> but I, I really like where do you think we're gonna go from here? Like, I mean we're only three three episodes or yeah, three episodes in, right? So like Well, I think the better question is to ask you, where would you like to see the show go? I mean, yeah, th- I mean, doesn't th- this third episode almost kind of feel strangely like like hey. a conclusion? Wait a I hope you watch the right episode. We're, oh, sorry, uh... the fourth episode. Fourth episode. Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, doesn't it have some kind of a like a feeling of conclusion almost? Even though we're only like not even halfway through the season. Well, well, I I described it as feeling like the end of a first act, in which they're setting up that there is a threat out there. They're setting up that they want Jack Crusher for a reason, and what unfolds from here is kind of an escalation of that initial kind of plot setup. And and we'll eventually get to some sort of resolution. But if you watch season two of Picard, there's no sort of sense of any sort of like broader act structure going on in that season. I mean, yeah, that's just a whole a whole mess. But I mean, I guess I just I'm just so tired of this of this like intergalactic bad guy showing up. And then the course of the 10 episodes, you know, you're going to like vanquish this this evil foe. I mean, like, is, is that just is that just a victim of the current type of like, you know, 10 episode cinematic type of storytelling these days? I, I, I like in the other shows that I watch on television, uh, the ones that are much, much better. The answer is no. Um, they're exploring far more interesting things. Like I get like so bored. Like a lot of those Marvel shows, I finally just had to give up at a certain point. Like it was just like, um, I, I tried watching Moon Knight. Can, I couldn't finish it. That was the one that just burnt me out officially. I was just like, then I was just like done with the Marvel stuff. Um, Although Cam, you said that She-Hulk is quite the delight. 
She-Hulk was uh, actually kind of fun. I would watch season two She-Hulk, but outside of that, I don't know that I'll be watching any others. Maybe Daredevil. We'll see. I'll I'll come back for season two of Loki. Uh, oh, I Loki like was that. great. Yeah, Loki was great. But um, I don't know. Just watching like every season of like Discovery or Picard, where it's like, oh, guess what? The universe is about to end unless the heroes jump into action. I'm like, well. I suspect that the heroes will be successful. So what's the tension for me? Like, it's always like, it's about character growth and like character dynamics and where some people's goals may not line up with others. And, uh, but it's also disconcerting when you have like Picard and Riker just kind of being like, really like kind of nasty, snotty to each other versus like, we have fundamental philosophical differences versus like, we have different takes on strategy. Yeah, and the way they talked to each other was kind of unsettling too. Like I just feel like that didn't seem genuine or or realistic of how we know these characters left off. Um and you know, like Riker telling Picard to like sit down and saying things like you've killed us all. Like, I just feel like that doesn't sound like the Riker we know. Get off my bridge. Exactly. Like, you know, he was he was always so he was always so respectful of uh of his relationship with his former captain, right? It just seems strange how they speak to each other now. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the, the new track. And I, I did have a question for you. We are going to get the TNG cast back, but there have been hints that other people may join from the you know past eras of Star Trek. Are there any legacy characters outside of the main TNG cast that you would desperately want to see return for Picard? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Kira earlier. That would be amazing uh, mm-hmm. to see her back. Um, and, you know, I mean, I never really watched Voyager, but I think it'd be interesting to see. Wait, did Janeway, did we see Janeway? Uh, or she was mentioned in last season, right? Well, Janeway is on the animated show Prodigy, but we haven't had a Janeway return. We have had verbal mentions. Seven mentioned that Janeway threatened to resign if they didn't allow Seven into Starfleet. But yeah, Kate Mulgrew has not appeared in the flesh on Picard or anything. I believe uh, O'Brien is supposed to come back. Is, is that a rumor? Uh, I don't confirmed. know. I I haven't heard uh, myself. So that would be amazing, Chief O'Brien. What a legend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I. We have had. Uh, have you been watching Lower Decks, the animated show? I, I really need to get on that. That's definitely been on my list. But as you know, uh, as a as a new father, you know, time is kind of limited. But that's definitely on my bucket list. I like how you said to two men without children, as you know, <laughs> yeah, as you've heard, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, um, I babysit my niece a lot, though, so I got that. Um, I, I'll just push for a Lower Decks watch for you, just because there there might be some familiar uh characters uh mm. popping up on that show and by a few i mean there there are uh, <laughs> quite a number of uh some of the most obscure characters but also some of the most revered characters coming back on lower decks i must ask so how is the quality of animation because you know these days i just i just can't get on board a animated show unless you know it's got half decent uh animation is, is it is it pretty good is it is it pretty yeah, I would say a lot of the animation is much more cinematic than stuff that we're seeing in like the live action show, especially Star Trek Prodigy, the children's show. Mm-hmm. Um, Cam and I have been blown away by the animation in that show in particular. Really? Yeah. And it's it's all canon? Yeah, all of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Um, how many seasons of Lower Decks again? 
now remind me three seasons of lower decks and then one season of prodigy but that one season is 20 episodes and are what about the voice actors are they are they just all new people uh, uh well, well uh kate mulgrew is doing uh janeway on star trek prodigy mm-hmm. and then um do you watch the boys on amazon prime i've seen a couple episodes so jack quaid uh who plays like the main character in the boys. Uh, he does, he's the main character in uh, Lord Dax. So um, yeah, you know, there, there's some folks you might recognize. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. Check that out. From what, what I've heard and read online, it's, it's been one of the bright points of the, of the universe in recent years. Would you give Star Trek strange new worlds a shot or have you watched uh, strange new worlds at this point? Uh, I haven't. I've heard you guys talk about it. You seem to like it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, out of all those properties, you know, with with someone, as I mentioned earlier, with limited time, which one would you recommend tackling first? I'd say Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I agree. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. It's only 10 episodes as well versus 30 episodes of Lower Decks and 20 episodes of uh, A Prodigy. Um, But, you know, just going back to uh, Picard um, quickly... Uh, Tyler, I, I talked to you about this last week, I think, but I was trying to rank the three most annoying characters of, of <laughs> a card so far. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think I mentioned to you uh, on the list is definitely uh, got to be Young Guinan, followed mm-hmm. by Gerardi, and then Rafi takes third place. Okay. Okay. Um, I I kind of I, I I have a certain fondness for Allison Pill. Like she's doing what she can with the terrible, terrible material that she's getting. For me, um, I'd have to rank Rafi at the bottom, and then uh, look, uh, Corey Sung, oh. um, was pretty bad. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. I, I realize I'm just naming women of color, which is not like, a great <laughs> thing to do. You're gonna get uh-huh. canceled, Tyler. Well, it just I, I'm blaming the writers for the garbage like that they're giving like these women of color to do, you know. And then um Eldor people. Come on. Eldor. El- especially yeah, a man um, of color. Yeah. Well, well a man I mean, of color in there too. Especially emergency uh what was the emergency security program? Oh, boy. Elnor? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Those were dark days for Star Trek. Somebody was joking, like, what would happen if one of the Borg Command was caught up with him? Would he, you know, like when you jump on like a Koopa in Mario, it would turn into a coin? Oh, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that what would happen to Elnor? The hologram? Uh, what, what about Rios? Are we, are we aboard the Rios ship or no? I like yeah, Rios. I, like I didn't like what they did with the character. And like, he died in a bar fight just the way he always wanted. I'm like, what? Like, that's terrible. Yeah, and also, I'm sorry, like, in previous iterations of Trek, would someone be allowed to stay in the past? No. Uh, like, no. they shouldn't. Like, like, Picard is, like, the biggest, like, believer in the Prime Directive, and here he just kind of smiles and goes, okay, you can just shack up with this doctor and live in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, but I mean, that's just one on a long list of... uh issues that i that uh that i see in the show but anyways that's either here nor there i suppose yeah was a well, okay well we got to wrap this up uh we were taking way too much of your time and <laughs> uh uh which you allocated to us but um just thoughts on seeing uh one john delancey play q again i mean yeah it was it was great to see him come back 
um, even if it's just a shell of his former self. And like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sorry, like people from the or like entities from the Q continuum can die. Like I that didn't they didn't really explain that either. So he just uh, becomes well, part of like you know the ether. Like what, what what was going on there? We 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 did see some stuff in Voyager that maybe would have kind of explained that, but it didn't really track with me that it seemed he was dying from natural causes. Cam, is mm-hmm. that is that what you took away? Or an illness of some sort? Yeah. How how did how does a Q get an illness? I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah, because the, the Voyager episode, Death Wish, it's like a Q choosing to end their life. This was a Q who apparently didn't want to die, but was dying anyway. He, he got COVID? Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, oh, interesting. You know, as you know, I've never watched Voyager from start to finish. I guess that's something that I should probably do at some point as well. There's some episodes you can skip, but yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say like Voyager's... Um, you know, you know how they always say, like, you know, the first couple seasons of any Star Trek show, it, it it takes a bit for them to figure it out. Voyager is interesting. I think that the first, like, the early seasons are actually like stronger than, like, say, the early seasons of DS Nine or TNG or Enterprise. Um, but then the show kind of reinvents itself again when Seven of Nine comes on board, and and so it's it's a very interesting show in like how, to a certain degree, it, it, it's. It, it's not quite to the degree that Picard changes season to season, but I think it's a show that sometimes gets overlooked uh, among Star Trek fans, although it does have a very strong, strong contingent of fans. Anybody who goes and witnesses uh, Kate Mulgrew at a convention uh, will be just astounded to see, like she probably gets like a stronger response from the audience than anyone else. Is it just me though? Or are there so many characters on that show that are unlikable? I, I, maybe they grow on you over the. I I, I just you know I just. Well, the, the problem is they they pretty much kind of gave up on most of the characters except for Janeway, the Doctor, and Seven. They're just like, okay, well, we found the characters that we like writing for most. We'll just focus on them, and then we'll just give the other characters boring. Aye, aye, Captain. Here are the coordinates. Kinds of dialogue through much of the rest of the episodes. Out of out of the seven seven seasons, right? Uh, yeah. Voyager. How many seasons are actually watchable? Because I saw I've seen some pretty bad episodes here and there on TV. Well, it's it's hard to say seasons in that like I, I it's like, you, like you should ask like, the the percentage of episodes that sure, are solid. Sure, yeah. I would say like yeah, solid sixty percent are are like yeah. pretty solid episodes. That sounds right to me. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not a super high number. Yeah, but I mean. What do you think the number is for TNG, though? I think it's okay, not I'm... far off sixty percent either. You you think so? I mean, okay, if we remove season one, well, we're not um... though. We're, we all seven <laughs> seasons, all seven seasons. Okay, no, I I mean it's it's got to be higher than sixty percent. I mean at least well, seventy five from for me anyway. I don't know because like seasons one, two, and seven of TNG, they're not the strongest, you know. Sure, sure, but I mean. Seasons two and seven, there, there, there are some gems in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. This might I, be I mean, a, uh, this might be a separate podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, through yeah, TNG and determine. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's Yay fair. or nay? Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, Benjamin, Benjamin Young, it was amazing to have you back on the show. Uh, see you again in eight years. Feels <laughs> um, like not a not a single day has passed. <laughs> well. Technically, it's only been about four days that have <laughs> yeah. passed since we saw each other. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. You know, it's it's been fun, and uh, I I'll be interested to revisit Picard again. Uh, you guys think it'll go past season three? Uh, yeah, season three. Nope. No. 
Not really? a chance. Zero chance? End of the road. Oh, boy. Yeah. End of the road. Okay, well, uh, maybe you can circle back at the uh, conclusions and uh, reflect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, thanks, guys, and uh, it was fun. Anytime, Ben. Benjamin Young. You're always welcome at the podcast that you yourself founded. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, that's, Open uh, invitation. <laughs> that warms my heart. That warms okay. my heart. Time to beam out. Cam, what a treat uh, to see Benjamin yet again on the podcast. Um, we see him in person, in real mm-hmm. life. Um, great that we could finally nab him for subspace transmissions after, what, eight, nine years of uh, doing the show. It might be easier to get Patrick Stewart to show up on the show than Ben Young sometimes, <laughs> but we're glad he was here. <laughs> hey, he's he's a new father. He's got mm-hmm. a busy life. I, I totally understand. So is Picard. Uh, so, uh, Cam. <laughs> A Starfleet's <laughs> the only family I've ever needed, said exactly. Ben Young. Um, yeah, Cam DeLorton reports. Um, yeah, look, this show, it's um, it's got some pizzazz to it. You know, it's uh, it, it's easy breezy. I uh, I like popping in and seeing Amy Sedaris again. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's got whimsy. Whimsy is the word. That I'm looking for here. Um, I wish you know, uh, you know, Discovery and, and Picard had more whimsy to it. And um, in terms of getting to these magical waters of Mandalore, um, it's not something I'm particularly invested in. Other than Mando is invested in this, but we are coming to grips at the um, protagonist that we've been following for you know the ca- past couple seasons. He is like a religious fanatic, though, and this is why mm. he's on this particular journey. So my interpretation of that moment is, you know, like sea monster pulls him down. He needs to get CPR when Bo Katan pulls him back up, and then he's kind of reborn, kind of baptize him by fire, so to speak. And that that sea beast did not feel the need to, uh, you know, attack Bo because he had done his duty, which is drag drag him down all the way and that, that i don't know i'm just it, it's as if i'm supposed to dissect something where my knowledge of star wars lore is is nil mm. so i i just i don't know what do you have to say about this episode that i i don't have a ton to say about myself other than like it's whimsical and i like it i was maybe a little more negative on this one i just found a lot of the wandering around cave stuff was making me drowsy to sit through uh but I was wondering with that sea creature, um, its head looked like the kind of the shape of that symbol that the Mandalorians wear on them, the, the kind of the horned beast. Yeah. So I don't know a lot about that because I I didn't watch the um, the animated shows. I did read some Boba Fett spinoff novels back in the day, but it's been many, many, frankly, decades at this point <laughs> since I uh, read them. So my memory of them is not great. Um, as long as I can make like the Mandalorian lore stuff interesting, then fine. But this one, it just kind of felt like spinning its wheels a lot. It was introducing like a threat, which was this one-eyed creature, which was creepy. It was a cool character design, but that took up the majority of the episode. And to watch the Mandalorian wander through these caves, find this thing, get captured, have Grogu escape, go and get Bo-Katan, and then basically repeat that journey. I was like, oh my God. 
Like this is this is a bit much. I, I mean, to me, the highlight of the episode was seeing the triumphant return of R5D4. Of course, the red droid that uh, Uncle Owen purchased at the start of A New Hope that had a bad motivator. Sure, uh, I'll take your word for it. Um, I don't think this has been the most auspicious start to a Mando season in which one of the things that we kept praising early on is like, they're doing these very, uh, maybe a little derivative, but every episode was kind of a a mission based sort of Mm -hmm. adventure. You know, you have your goals, you complete it, you get to the next level like you would in a video game. Um, now we're seeing like they're, they're kind of succumbing to more of that serialized format that we found very frustrating with, uh, discovery and Picard. And look, it's only two episodes in. Um, I'm just not, this one's not gripping me. This season's not gripping me as much as the first two did. Although I, I do recall watching season one and I, I was a little bit um, on and off uh, week to week uh, because I like you're still trying to learn to understand what the show's supposed to be at that point. So when I rewatched season one, I liked it much more mm-hmm. understanding what it was meant to be. And so I don't know, like maybe we'll like this season or at least these episodes when we come to better understand what the goals are here. But so far, I'm just like, okay, it's it, it's a fluffy show. It's got some whimsy. We'll go with it. You know, watching Grogu um, somehow navigate with the help of this droid that you have tattooed on your lower back. Um, I have the figure. I have the vintage Star Wars action figure of R5-D4. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I am I'm, I'm very proud. Um, yeah, I, I like those moments. You know, it's just uh, I I found this week's episode of uh, Picard far more compelling than Mando. And I remember Cam, you and I were doing a lot of podcasting where we would find the most recent episode of Mando a lot more compelling than the most recent episode of Star Trek. That is very very true and kind of terrifying in some ways. Yeah, <laughs> I I do think it's interesting that um, Disney has apparently decided that the future Marvel shows are going to be a little more episodic. They have said that they want to go, uh, like, kind of move away from how heavily serialized they were. Uh, and yet Mandalorian seems to be headed in the opposite direction, which it was typically fairly episodic. And it does seem like we are going more serialized here, which if it works, it works. But uh, this one didn't particularly grab me. It it felt often very derivative of Lord of the Rings for some reason. Like, I just kept thinking of the Mines of Moria. And the fact it was called the Mines of Mandalore, I was like, oh, my God, I just the vibes were strong i don't think you ever got to the minds of moria scenes in um the power of the rings did you no no i didn't um amazing to look at um and mando did not really rival it uh in terms of what we saw in the uh lord of the rings spinoff television series on amazon no no it's like if you're gonna send me into the mines give me like a super compelling reason like an objective that's waiting on the other end and bathing in some waters is not high on the list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, well, Cam, we will be back next week to tackle uh, episode five of Star Trek Picard season three, uh, Imposter, which I know was uh, one of your favorite movies from the early 2000s. Oh my um, God. Who was in that? <laughs> it's like Gary Sicknice and like uh, Mackay Pfeiffer and... Uh, trying to think who else but it was based on like a philip k dick movie yeah wasn't that like something that was very much dumped into theaters probably in january or something and made like three million dollars i remember the reviews were absolutely terrible and i never bothered seeing it yeah i never saw it either wow okay well um who's the imposter in the next episode cam is this a changing reference or is this something or or is it more like a, a double meaning here 
Well, like, you would think it would be a changeling, but we did kill the one on board the Titan in this episode. So... Well, did we? Like, they got got a couple shots to the chest and the eyes went red, you know, but it wasn't like we saw it incinerate, like we saw Worf do uh, an episode prior. Yeah, yeah, they didn't uh, vaporize the corpse the way that Beverly would. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, so... It has to be changeling related. Like, if you're going to have a season with a uh, battle with changelings, then that title should be pretty on the nose. But there's probably a double okay. meaning. There's probably, like, a, right. yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess that someone else is involved. Maybe, like, is revealed to be maybe in cahoots with uh, this criminal plot. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of criminal plots, um, we'll be catching up with Star Trek Picard next week. Great segue. Perfect segue. <laughs> And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. And of course, you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam B as in Visions of Red Doors, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P. P as in Prince Valiant haircut on that Vulcan <laughs> in 10 Ford. O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. <laughs> But, uh, you know, just three founding fathers having, having a brewski. <laughs>